Hi, my name's Karen O'Connor and welcome to this episode of the Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood podcast. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> I was so what happened you? yesterday? Oh, <clears throat> so I was at work. I'm at the, uh, at the Geelong Jail Museum, right? And I'm in costume. So the costume that I'm in is for what the governor of the jail would have worn during the Second World War, which is a military uniform. It's very right. obviously military. And I'm sitting at the desk and it's dead because, you know, everyone's still in <laughs> quarantine. No one's coming out despite the flags and the sign. Well, people aren't just going to come wandering willy-nilly into a jail in the middle of quarantine. Um, well, there's so, no know, tourists either. There's, sorry, you broke up a bit. There's no tourists either. No, and that's a large quantity of the people that come through the jail, quite a large quantity. So... I was at the, de- at, the, at the desk, you know, pa- making paper airplanes and trying to fly them into a bucket. You know, the old, the old fallbacks when you've got nothing to do at work. And um, yep. this guy comes in, strides past the, the door and, you know, leaps over the barricade and goes into the jail. Um, but as he sees me, he says, G'day, sir, and keeps going. <gasps> and I, yeah. I poke my head. This isn't the weirdest part of it. I poke my head around the corner and I say, oh, mate, you know, where are you going? Um, do you want to go into the jail? He says, yeah, I'm going in now. I said, mate, you got to, it's, it's a museum. You've got to come and pay for entry. And he comes back over the barricade. He strides back over. His legs are ridiculously long. And he looks me dead in the eye and he says, I'm the king of this island. Right. And I said, which island? <laughs> Australia? Um, and he said, and England, without breaking eye contact. And I said, well, that's great, sir, but you're still going to have to pay to get in. And he said, oh, it's not right, you know, it's not right. And I said, having to pay for entry, you know, clinging to any form of sanity in this conversation. He says, no, jails, but just, you know, it's not great. And he, he turns away from me and he yells incoherently into the corridor. I only caught a few words. I'm pretty sure one of them was birthdays. Um, but again, can't be said. <laughs> And then he turns back to me and he says, you know, I really appreciate your service and me, you know, just floating in a sea of confusion. I don't correct him because that would only make things worse at this point. No, all you can say is you're welcome. He said, he said, you did a great job in the trenches. And I just (laughs) nod. I just, I just nod. He said, you know, I'm homeless now. All of my things were stolen from the motel. And I said, oh, would you like to call the police? And he said, I don't have a phone. It was stolen. And I was like, you can come in and use my phone. He's like, why? Are you going to attack me? And I said, <laughs> no. Desperately hoping I wouldn't have to at this rate. Um, and then he turns away from me and screams incoherently into the corridor again. And I'm pretty sure I heard the word birthdays again. Don't know what it was about. <laughs> And then he says, thanks for your time, sir. He turns away, walks out the door, turns sharply to the right, pulls a bicycle out of the bush, and then walks off with it. Lovely. Yeah. Oh, I forgot the most insane part. Okay, about halfway through the conversation, he was holding a a lit cigarette. And I said, mate, you're going to have to put that out while you're inside the jail. It's just policy. He said, oh, they smoked here all the time, didn't they? And I said, yes, but, you know, this isn't actually a jail anymore this is a museum now and he said oh well i'll put it out then and swallows it without breaking eye contact 
Lovely. And so I went back to the desk <laughs> and tried to reevaluate my life choices. Um, <laughs> because that was just so bizarre. <laughs> That was a bizarre uh, conversation with a bizarre human being. So there we go. That, that was, that was great. The rest of my day, honestly, I was just on the back foot. <laughs> I could not cope after that. All I could think about was that cigarette. <laughs> yeah, so that so. was your day yesterday. That was, I mean, other things happened, but they paled in comparison next to that. Um, it was just such an experience, honestly. <laughs> An interesting character. It certainly was. I don't know whether he was actually mad or if he was trying to weird me out with the intention of me just letting him into the jail, which occurred to me was one of one, one of the options. Yeah, but yeah. I'm not. I'm not sure. In the end, They're honestly, a little bit of both. I would have suspected the other option had he not swallowed the cigarette. That's just so off any scale. That it just, I can't believe that a sane person do that. Like, not even to try to convince someone that they were insane. That's just so ridiculous. You're going to have to write that one into one of your plays, you know. <laughs> I, I might. I'm still really. Because I haven't even, you know, I haven't even told Joe about it yet. But, you know, normally when I tell Joe these stories, it's how I kind of sort through them and make them into a tangible storyline. So I'm going to have to do that. And then I might write it down because it was just so odd. So odd. <laughs> so weird. Yeah. <laughs> so that was my yesterday. Still reeling. Don't understand what happened, who he was, why he was there. I've just realized. So did, he, I, did he go into the jail? No, not in the end. Right. He just no. got on his bike and rode off. No, no, he he walked off with his bike. <laughs> he didn't ride it. That right, would be too okay. sane. Well, <laughs> no, he just he just pulled his bike out of the bushes and, and walked off with it. Thought I'd, I'd share that little tidbit with you. Maybe maybe a bit of a post credits story for you for your listeners. <laughs> yes, watch out for it in some of Ryan's future work. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've got my questions here. But what's your whole theme of this now? Okay, so the theme for today is sibling dynamics um, and how you view them from the outside, really. Because I know what it's like from the inside and what it's like from the inside is simultaneously being imprisoned with your best friend and worst enemy and having to (laughs) kind of deal with that. Right. So I thought it would be uh, a good topic to talk about from the perspective of a mother, how you dealt, not just with having kids, having separate entities that dealt with each other in ways that were both positive and negative. And in particular, right. how their dynamic affected you, affected your relationship with them and taught you lessons as a mother. Okay. So, that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Okay. Um, keep, keep saying, um, uh, immediately does it again. So the, the questions themselves are pretty self-explanatory and I think that the purpose of them will become clear as we go on as well. Okay, cool. Yeah, because I was going to ask you, what is the, what was the thinking behind that? Why is it you want to know all this? One of the reasons is that 
firstly, I do know what it was like from the inside. But given my own relationship with the kids, I'm aware as an adult that I wasn't exactly impartial in those relationships. No. So I'm aware that my perspective is skewed. And the other reason that I'm curious is a lot of the things that I hear as a person who is not a mother for a variety of reasons, I get a lot of my information about what it's like to be a mother, either from you or from accounts on the internet or, or in books or things like that. And I'm aware that a lot of that is stereotype and hearsay. So I want to sort through what the expectations in society are for certain sibling dynamics, for example, two boys or two girls, and how you found your experience was different to that and how it related later on to your relationship with us. Okay. Mm-hmm. So first of all, something that it's brought up for me as you asked that question was expectations on sibling dynamics. So you see in the media and on television and everything else, oh, well, siblings are, are just the way they are. They're always going to argue. They're always going to get at each other and everything. Your granddad said that to me a couple of times when he was over visiting and you were all arguing, you know, whoever, whichever pair it was, was having a big argument and I'd really scream at you and your granddad would say, well, that's what siblings do. And for me, it was no, no, they don't. They do if they're allowed to, but that's not how I want things to run around here. That's not how it goes. Just because you think you've got an excuse to do something because they're your sibling or you live with them or they, you know, you can talk to your mother in a particular way because she's your mother, like you see on the TV programs that I would never let you watch. Let's just add that again here. That was unacceptable behaviour because to me that's just an excuse. If somebody says, oh, well, they're going to do that because that's their brother or sister, that's an excuse for poor behaviour and I wasn't going to tolerate that at all. There are no excuses. You choose to behave how you're going to behave and if you behave in a way that's not congruent with who you are and what what I know is important to you because obviously when you're a kid, you can't put your finger on what's important to you. So a lot of my role as a mother was to look at you all individually and go, okay, that's actually important to him. I can see what your values are and what's important to you and put them into words much better than you can. As a child and as we're growing up and even going through life, we've got to try different ways of being on and most of them don't work because we see somebody else and that way of being works for them and we think they're really cool or we think they handled that particular way and they might have done, but they're them and you're you. Um, we've all got to try on all these different ways of being and most of them don't work. And so my job as a mother was to then remind you of what's going to work for you. And one of the things that was never going to work for any of you because you were my children and I was never going to let it is actually quite a big part of the reason was being nasty to people and annoying them for pleasure. Because you were bored. 
that was just a no-no as far as I was concerned. I was just not going to tolerate that. You know, the whole, mum, he's breathing my air. Mum, he's sitting next to me. Mum, she's doing this. Just like, seriously, packing in. I'm not going to tolerate it. I'm <laughs> just not. <laughs> and you all knew that I wasn't going to tolerate it as well. And I, 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 thinking about that now, I actually can't put my finger on why, and maybe you can enlighten me on this, on why you all knew that you could only go so far and that mum really wasn't going to tolerate it. What was the difference that made you all understand that? Because I watch other kids and their mum says no and they just carry on doing what they're doing. But uh, And I don't get this whole hard no and soft no that current parenting seems to say is okay like no is no but it's a single word it doesn't need a hard or a soft in front of it if I say no I mean no there's, and there's a reason for it here's the reason yes um <laughs> so I'm just trying to decide which part of that I'm going to respond to so the first that I'm going to choose to respond to is the the why we we ended up listening to you and I can only really answer from my perspective, first of all, because I'm aware that my other siblings, who shall remain nameless, had different responses to your particular brand of mothering. I mm. tended to, to know where the boundary was. I stepped over it a couple of times, particularly when I was an angsty teen. Probably the peak of that was about 15. Mm, yeah. But that being said, I never really went so far over the line that, um, you know, there was no going back, which um, I know happened a couple of times to the other siblings. Yeah, yeah, it did. The reason for me being that in retrospect, I think I had a better understanding of you as a person from a younger age. So something that has occurred to me in conversations with one of my sisters, who shall remain nameless, is that... Do I uh, upset her again? No, no, it's just... Anonymity here, Mum. Right. <laughs> no, you'll, I think you'll know. I know which one I'm upset lately. I just don't want to oust anyone, you know? Right, yeah. So it's, yeah, I, 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 I don't want to make anyone feel called out, but it, it did occur to me that, for example, when you would say, you know, you're grounded, and you, you meant that what, what was going to happen was we'd be grounded for two weeks and we'd be miserable that entire time. That was the punishment in the moment. Yep. I knew. Yes, it was. <laughs> that there was zero chance of that actually happening if I behaved myself. Yeah. Because you, you didn't enjoy punishing us. That wasn't, and you always had a big thing about punishment versus consequence. Consequences will only continue so far as the lesson has been learned. But punishment continues after that, mm. I think right, is one okay. of the, the big differences. So I knew from a quite early age that once I got in trouble and you had pronounced the sentence, if I decided to ease off and be nice, then I wouldn't have to serve the entire sentence, if you will. Yeah. Which was good and bad. Good because it, I think it made things easier in you and that I wasn't 
always cannonballing for the far edge of the horizon past the border of what, what was acceptable behavior, which I know a couple of my siblings have done in the past. On occasion, yes. But it did, I think, looking back from the outside, mean that I could play the system to a certain extent. Mm. So one of the questions I was going to ask later on is um, which was the most problematic sibling dynamic for you? And I have a strong suspicion that it's me and Kira. Yeah, yeah it was. And I, it- I think looking back that uh, quite a big part of it is because I knew the system, which is why it persisted for so long. Because there was right, never, okay. oh, there were very rarely instances in which I didn't um, over, you know, what, what, if, in which I wasn't aware that I could overstep and didn't. So it was always controlled. So that, that harsh lesson was never learned because I knew where the boundary was so intimately. Mm. Does that make sense? You were also, that was the only thing your... Um, I can't put it any other way than saying your hatred of Kira. You absolutely hated her. And that was the only thing that I couldn't have a conversation with you about and have you understand it. You just would not take it on board at all. Mm. Not at all. For Kira, it was honestly, she's, she's guileless. She's completely guileless and she's basically really sweet. So she was doing it purely for a little bit of, you know, light entertainment and then she'd stop. But your the feeling I got when you did it, your whole dynamic over the thing was you really hated her and that was what upset me more than anything. Which is, is interesting now and I'm going to relate to your audience now that I think my relationship with Kira is the best relationship I have with any of the siblings. Oh, isn't that interesting? Um, yeah, we, we've long since put that, if not behind us, because Kira does bring it up at every possible opportunity, then it no <laughs> longer has any bearing on how we right. interact. But that is, you know, I find myself shying away from the word hatred because it's not a very attractive word. But honestly, I can't think of a word that would be applicable that isn't hatred. From the inside, I had this intense feeling that the person I saw in Kira wasn't the same person that everyone else saw. Yeah, I know. I know. You spent hours telling me why she wasn't a nice person and why she didn't need to be your sister. And that disconnect between the person that I saw that wasn't as worthy of all of the things that were given to her in bucket loads, like patience and um, understanding and a lack of punishment. (laughs) <laughs> were things that fueled me in this no, one-man sh- guerrilla war about righteousness. Yeah, because and the it- funny thing is, my recollection of it is the one who caused me, you know, Jamie was hardworking that he always pushed the boundaries, but Kira wasn't far behind him. Mm. And in a lot of ways, she was ahead of him. So to me, I thought, and to your dad, your dad thinks I was really hard on Kira. Of all the four of you, Kira was the one that copped the brunt of my temper the most, as far as your dad's concerned. Yeah. If there's anything that I've learned 
from my relationship with with Kira is that I can't and shouldn't try to explain her actions. That's that's for her to do. <laughs> yeah. So while I could provide an explanation on her behalf, it wouldn't be very fair. Uh, it would be skewed either in one direction or another. Mm. But that was my compulsion. I think a quite a large part of that was the person that I saw was different to the person that you saw and everyone mm. else saw. Mm. Oh, and it I, was really unfair. Like I really got that as far as you were concerned, it was unfair that Kira even so much as existed, never mind that she got any love or anything. <laughs> it was really unfair. I, I find myself tr- going to argue with you. And I think it's the same part of me that always had that ongoing war, that feud with Kira. So I, I will say at this point to the listeners that my relationship with her was inexcusable and I won't try to excuse it. I, I'll try to explain it so that anyone who's having kids who are doing that kind of thing can try to, to have an insult. But at a certain point, it's just because I was a bad human being in my relationship with Kira. <laughs> no judgment there then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying she was entirely uh, guiltless either. She definitely wasn't. It was definitely six of one and half a dozen of the other. Just, <laughs> do, do not try and take all the credit. Two of you drove me insane. But one of the things that that relationship did was see see the difference between you and Kira in that relationship I couldn't quite put my finger on it before is Kira was being mischievous and you were being vindictive that was the difference thinking about it it's it's the it's a power dynamic Mm. when Jamie and I argued as kids it was generally um the argument of two people trying to come out on top Mm. You know, in, in terms of, of power dynamics, and the other one knew that they had lost and then the winner could lord it over them because that's how winning yeah. works and that's why we want to win things. Kira had zero interest in winning. <laughs> which was, first of all, infuriating. But second of all, changed the entire way that we argued because if her intention wasn't to win, i.e. come out in a position of power, over me, then all she had to do was just let me be a bad guy because she could just kind of be the underdog. Because first of all, I think a part of her knew that other people would back her up so long as she was the underdog, which just infuriated me more, honestly. Because how are you supposed to argue with that? So that that was an interesting relationship with Kira. And it was odd because it was so disconnected to the rest of my life. Yeah. You know, my relationship with Kira had zero bearing on who I was with my friends, on who I was with people outside of the family. None at all. It's just that microcosm surrounding Kira in which I was a different person. Yeah. And and it's like as hard as it was, it was so out of character for you. And yet you couldn't see it. So it's great being able to look back on it now and possibly catch yourself doing a similar thing in a certain relationship. I'm not saying you have got any right now. That's just that's hypothetical. <laughs> hypothetical. Occasionally, 
I will point this out. Occasionally, you will come across someone, listeners, to whom you have an unconditional and irrational hatred. Every mm-hmm. fibre of your being resents the fact not only that they exist, but that other people accept the fact that they exist. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the kind of person that my relationship with Kira has taught me to deal with because yeah. it's taught me that that is an irrational feeling, that that has zero bearing, and it's taught me how to deal with it in a, in a way that is healthy. So that's what Kira's relationship with me has kind of taught me. And I, I think where I was going to go with it a minute ago was I think your relationship with Kira actually overshadowed and hid what was going on in the background between you and Jamie. Yes. And um, that's something that I'm only really becoming aware of. I, I kind of knew it, but it it caught up my emotions so much for the two of you because it's not like you got any pleasure out of doing what you did to Kira. You were really upset with yourself. So you kind of got pleasure, but it was that pleasure that you get when you've done something really bad and you feel awful about it, but you're not going to admit that you feel awful. And it also hid what was going on between Jamie and you. I think there's, and it's going to tie into a couple of things. So I think a big part of it is that the campaign against Kira, for want of a better word. (laughs) It totally was a campaign, wasn't it? It was was an eight-year-long campaign. The campaign against Kira wasn't for pleasure. That wasn't its purpose. I, I didn't enjoy baiting Kira. I didn't do it because it would make me feel good. So so what was your purpose in that? It's because I felt that there was something fundamentally wrong. It was because the the person that I saw wasn't the person that everyone else saw. And that was a huge and massive disconnect. Yeah, it was. I I, I do remember you you kept saying that. But, Mum, don't you see what she's doing? So everything I did was in aid of exposing her constantly day in and day out and i think on in a large part it was a way of me venting my massive frustration at the power dynamic between jamie and myself because you know as i said before jamie and i had a constant tussle over who was going to be more powerful a tussle that i very rarely won and so i had this I think early in the relationship, I had the same arguments with Kira, hoping that the the tussle in which I would come out on top, obviously, because I'm four years older than her, it's massively unfair, would make me feel good about that. But it didn't. It gave me no pleasure to be on, on top, come out on top in that, in that way, which was even more frustrating because it left me without a, a catharsis. And so I think um, once the relationship became habit, and it didn't take long to become habit, it was part venting frustration, part this campaign for justice was my perspective, and just part knee-jerk response. The problem in that relationship was that part of the dynamics between you and Jamie was that, and I might actually delete this, I don't know, 
was that Jamie used to then turn Kira and Keely against you. So you were all by yourselves. I have more and more memories looking back of the family feeling very much alone. Yes. Because it was a classic tactic to turn everyone else against me. Yeah. In the family. And then you'd exacerbate it as well because you do stuff to bring about that end and prove that you were right. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I, I didn't know how to uh, stop that inevitable fall. All I could do was what I, I knew how to do from observing Jamie. That's always been my technique and because I'd never seen anyone else, you know, come out of that situation in, through, you know, diplomacy or what I would consider to be openness and vulnerability. I had no anchor, no guidance. Mm. My relationship with Kira and with the other siblings really changed once I, you know, started my acting training, which was really just training to be emotionally vulnerable, which is something that I had only very rarely seen in Jamie. It was always my, it was always my lesson, my guidebook. Yeah, and and that in and of itself, Ryan, is, I'm deciding here how time should be. No, I'm just kind of going, okay, I can go two ways with this. What do I do? The usual Karen way? (laughs) Be be mean if you like. I can have a cry later. You're saying that you didn't have a role model to follow? That? (laughs) Is complete garbage. I seriously don't even try to cop that excuse in me. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna not gonna happen. I'm gonna pause you very briefly because if I phrased it that way, I was incorrect. What I meant was I didn't feel like I had a role model because my role model for many many things was just Jamie. That was your choice. It, yes, it was. Uh, I'm not. Ex- I'm not ex- excusing the behaviour at all trying to explain it and it i could easily have you know just said okay i want to be more like is a character is emotionally open that i could go who would you have asked me to be uh, uh to be my role model picard picard there's a good one yeah i could have just chosen to be like picard and i chose not to or i felt you that did, that was it was it was a conscious choice ryan it was a conscious choice because we, the number of conversations that we had about this mm. and the fact that it's still not landing for me tells me that you've still got stuff going on there. More with my relationship with Jamie than my relationship with Kira. Because it is a, it is a jumble and it's a jumble that I don't want to get back into because I'm aware of how confused and tangled it is. So trying to attach an explanation to it is a risky business because I can never be certain whether that is true. Which string I'm pulling on is going to move something at the other end. All I'm trying to do is give a, a, a roadmap to, into an insight into how I was kind of thinking at the time so that anyone else who's got um, children who's, who have a relationship like this can in some measure not sympathize but understand yeah totally when it all boils down to it you got middle child syndrome oh boy oh boy oh boy yeah i remember you having a go at me because your name's different starts with a different letter 
to everybody <laughs> else. And it was just proof that you were the unwanted child. <laughs> I think it would be very fair to say that I, I felt very left out of a lot of things. You did. And yet it was me and you who used to go horse riding, not me, you and Jamie. I think a big, a big part of that was that I wanted a, a, a male role model. You and I had a great relationship. You had a, a big hand in defining my character, particularly in terms of how I saw other people. But I, as a teenager, a lot of boys will have a lot of hang-ups about what it means to be a man, you know, mm. to, to be a man and, and how that affects your relationships, <laughs> particularly with women, because you can, yeah. you know, be blokey and stuff with men. And that was a whole adventure that I had in high school with the all-boys school. But as a guy who had to learn to be emotionally vulnerable, there's a, there is a whole stigma about that, firstly. Oh, there was. Oh, we gosh, yeah. And I do think in retrospect, I probably would have benefited from a more emotionally available dad, not yeah. blaming him at all. It's just one of his particular quirks is he keeps things very much to himself. It's not yeah. that he doesn't have emotions. It's just that he doesn't express them. Like his jokes, never explains them, would much prefer to privately laugh at us than go through and, and t teach us his sense of humor. Yeah. Which gives him pleasure. So who, who, am I to, who am I to judge? Yeah, your dad but, is an analyzer. Yeah. He, will, he won't say things until he's had a jolly good think about them. And so I, I do, I did often want more of an emotional range from dad because mm. it would have given me a greater kind of observation. You know, I had categories for how I was to interact with people under certain circumstances. And because of the way that, you know, society was for, for a teenage boy, things are very confusing. And you know that men are supposed to be fundamentally different from women. A belief that I have henceforth systematically tried to eradicate from every opinion that I hold, by the way, <laughs> just made things much easier for me, gotta say. <laughs> but I think the other thing was, you, you tried to discuss it with me a lot. And I, I yeah, think it's always been, you've, you've always been aware that anything that dads talk to us about, we take that message on, on board more because it was just dad. He never talked to us about things. So it, it gave his kind of his pronunciations a bit more weight. You know, when dad told us to stop something, we should stop something. But all I remember him saying about my relationship with Kira is to stop being mean to her. But in my mind, I wasn't being mean to her which caused a bit of a problem, you know, internally. <laughs> because yeah. all it meant was I should change my tactics. <laughs> <laughs> this is just coming to me now. This is not pre-prepared. I'm just <laughs> feeling this out. I just that suddenly remembered that conversation. Yeah, because <laughs> I wasn't being mean. Yeah. So he was like, stop being mean. I was like, oh, right. Bad methods. Gotcha. <laughs> so if that goes any distance to kind of explain the really irrational workings of a teenage boy's mind, then um, <laughs> I hope it's helpful. I actually meant to talk about more of the other relationships between the siblings than just 
just mine and Kira's. Although, in fairness, you could probably write a psychology textbook oh about mine and Kira's relationship, yeah. which was yeah. it had it, it did have its good points. I think we do look back and say things were bad, but I remember a few moments. I don't know if Kira would remember them when we were unconditionally just we had unconditional gestures of love, which was you did. It, it was really interesting because, you know, we're talking here about all the bad stuff that happened, but most of the time it was actually okay and mm. sometimes it was great. But the focus, the bad times were so bad yeah. that it put everything else out of all proportion. It didn't mean that they didn't exist. No. But there was a little cycle to it. And when your dad, just going back a couple of steps, when your dad yeah said to you, stop being mean to Kira. That is how your dad looks at the world. Yeah. It's really <laughs> clear. Now <laughs> I'm aware of that. Dad was always a mystery to me. Could read you like mm. a book. Could read the others like a book, except probably Kira. But dad was a mystery. Mm. He doesn't explain how he thinks. No, he doesn't. He j- he'll say to you, you know, if I, if I tell him now I'm upset about something, and he'll say, well, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> helpful. <laughs> he just can't take it on board. It, he literally sees it as a choice. Do you want to mm. be upset or don't you? Well, and, and I, I want to. T- one of the the things I get out of our conversations, and and it's going that way with the girls now as well as they're getting older, is we have a philosophical discussion, as you can tell from the conversation that's gone on so far about things. Yeah which just helps me place things. Okay, that goes there, that goes there. Okay, right now it's clear. It's a placement of stuff that I don't understand. Like you said, you haven't managed to put what happened yesterday with that guy at the jail into some kind of order to communicate it as well as you might. Yeah, That's what our conversations do. I say to your dad, oh, blah, 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 and he's, well, stop it. End of conversation. (laughs) Where can I go from there? Yeah. That is really how simple life is to him. So when he was communicating to you as teenagers, it's literally how he is. Yeah, I I, I don't doubt that at all. And I always got that impression. Yeah, it's um, not because he's incommunicative or anything, uncommunicative. (laughs) He's just telling you. You know, there's a simple choice. Follow the choice. He's his own creature, his dad. (laughs) He's he's, he's a unique individual, is your father. (laughs) But it comes to emotions, not the person you'd want to go to. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. But if I went to him when you lot were were young and I said, I've had enough. I cannot do this anymore. You lot were in for it. Yes. (laughs) Because you done knew. (laughs) <laughs> if I got to that stage, you'd all been complete little toe rags. Yeah, so there was this complete disconnect, I think, between, on this at least, between me and Dad. Me and Dad are different in a lot of ways, and yeah. this was just one of them because he didn't understand anything about no. this ongoing feud between me and you. Didn't get it. Didn't get it at no. all. Didn't understand it. I didn't have the perspective to explain it to him. And he wouldn't have understood it even if you'd been able to explain it to him. <laughs> in your dad's world, it's a choice. Yeah. So it's, um, 
I think it, it did really affect a lot of mine and dad's relationship early on as well. You know, it was in the shadow of all of these, these decisions, which he saw as irrational and his confusion, which I saw as aloofness, you know, which, which just added yeah. to the confusion that was our family dynamic. So I, I, I cartwheeled from one confusing relationship to another, I think. That's kind of what you did. I, I, don't, I don't know that that's what happened. I think you were just young, Ryan, and learning. No, that's, that's and that's true. what we all do. You're not special. That's true. No, you think I, I do have these memories of, of being, from my own perspective, an, an older person. You know, I'm a mature young person. He says the right old age of 14. I'm in control of my emotions and I understand myself as a human being, I said, yeah. like a liar. So <laughs> I do remember yep. being, from my perspective, in control of it. Looking back, that is less true than I would have claimed. But if it goes far enough to at least give some insight into a younger version of me, that's, that's a start. I hope this would give Kira an insight into my perspective. <laughs> I don't think Kiri gives that much thought to it. You know, I think you're right. My instant argument was she brings it up at every possible opportunity, Mum. But I do think you're right. I think she just does it to niggle me sometimes. It doesn't yeah, really does. get, it doesn't get a rise out of me anymore. But um, I have always kind of wondered if she is still upset about it because I try to make it up to her. She just watches me with amusement. This yeah, no, she'll do it out of habit, but I don't think it impacted her particularly at all. I hate to tell <laughs> you that. I don't it's a bit of a crush to my ego, but uh... yeah, no, but she's just, <laughs> she's just like, oh, Kira was, oh, I'm not even gonna go there. She was so away with the fairies, <laughs> <laughs> love it to bits, but man, she was away with the fairies. I, I would be very interested to hear her, her perspective on it actually, on, on a lot of things from her childhood, her, her interior. But well, we'll that's, do that. We'll, we'll have a conversation. Yeah, it's a whole series of, of conversations, isn't it? You know, I, I meant to cover three major relationships in this podcast. We've barely scratched the surface of one of them. And we've been on, we've been talking, oh, 45 minutes? Yep, a bit more than, so, bit more than that now. So in terms of just wrapping it up on that section, what hmm. was it you wanted to get out of that question that you initially asked, which was what was the question you initially asked? Actually, we, I haven't actually asked any of my questions. This was a topic sentence that we turned into a full conversation. So I have three questions for you. Well, I actually have three questions. There's more than that. These are the three kind of dot points that I've got. The first dot point is, was this the most problematic relationship? How and why? And what do you believe was the root cause? That was the first one. The second one was, what do you think we taught the other? And what did you learn? And the third was, how did you respond to that dynamic, aka argument? And how do you think you would change anything were it to happen now? Mm. <laughs> so those are three other questions. I don't think we've touched on any of them. No, we haven't, no. And they're all sort of discussions that could go on for quite a while because particularly that last bit, yeah. um, you know, how, how would I deal with it now? That's, there's a, a massive discussion in there because 
the only reason I had dealt with it the way it did was you were both my children. I was trying to protect both of you. Mm. But I, again, I do think that you know, Kira and I have both grown as people enough that it would wouldn't happen between us again. I meant more in the in the if we if you went back as you were now back to yeah. them, would you handle anything differently? Do you know? Probably not. Mm. Because my the my thing with you was I was constantly trying to get a point across and you couldn't hear it. So for yeah. nine years I was just trying to make the point and I'll go on about something until I get heard. That's what human pe- human beings do. Mm. We re- if we find ourselves repeating something, it's because we're not being heard. You couldn't hear what I was trying to say to you. No. And that was the problem. So all I could do was just keep trying to say it in different ways. And, you know, you did the forum five times to try and work through this. And you walked out every time. And your resolution at the end of the Landmark Forum every time was, I'm going to create this, I'm creating this fabulous new relationship with Kira, blah, 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 blah. I remember rolling my eyes the last two times you said that in the forum (laughs) and copping a look from the forum leader because I'm going, oh, yawn. (laughs) (laughs) you know it's funny because looking back i from my perspective now i know exactly what i should have said that would have made the difference had i held on to that that would have just been the choice to love her unconditionally Mm. because that was the problem i had conditions Mm. Mm. yeah you did and that was a conversation we had but you couldn't see it at all no, Not at all. couldn't see it. Didn't choose to do that, as Dad would say. Didn't choose so. to just let it go. She is the way she is. You live your own life. Let it go. <laughs> and to be fair, let's turn that the other way around because obviously I wasn't hearing what you said, which was why it carried on for so long. Yeah, it was just I didn't have the vocabulary to communicate it. I didn't have the experience to understand it. Um, no, you didn't, actually. You were just, she's horrible. Mum, you don't realise she's not nice. You all think she's nice and she's so not. <laughs> he said about the sweetest little tutu-clad pink thing. I know, as your sister <laughs> floated past, hugging fairies and, you know, catching butterflies because that was what she did. And she would occasionally, remember when she <laughs> she caught uh, something, a grasshopper or something, and a lizard. And she mm-hmm. stuck it in the little home we bought for him and then put it in the full sun to see how long it would take him to die. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's not what her intention was. That is what no, she found out. <laughs> it was. I asked her. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> but then she was at that, you know, eight-year-old, really yeah. eight-year-old stage. Yeah. And then she cried because he died. Hmm, no. really, really wasn't big on consequences. She, she didn't. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> She's different now. We're both different now. That's a disclaimer to this this whole episode. Is mine and Kira's ah. relationship. He is very You're fabulous now. people. Yeah. You always grown were. As human beings. <laughs> you always were. So you've tried on lots of different personas and you've found out what doesn't work. Yeah. I don't think it was that I was a bad person. It's that I was an incomplete person, particularly when it came to Kira. It was I'd, that I was. Look, I wouldn't even go that far. You were yes. trying to communicate something, <laughs> and yeah. basically all it was is you were 
three and a half, nearly four, when she was born and your mum got taken away from you by this squalling little baby and you didn't like I, it. I'd already had enough trouble with Jamie, honestly. He was yeah. always trying to take your attention. Well, we, we figured it out in the end um, with minimal scarring on Kira. But I think that's a whole other conversation. That is a whole other conversation. Thank you so much. I'd better do the thank yous, hadn't I? Thank you so yeah. much. <laughs> oh, you're very welcome. Um, thank you for, for finally listening to what was wrong with Kira in our childhood. <laughs> I feel heard. <laughs> oh, I'm glad, darling. Yeah. It's only taken, how old are you, 24 years? Oh, well, she's 20 years old, so. 20, 20 years. 20 years, yeah. 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 Well, it's a process, oh. isn't it? <laughs> it is. That's okay, as long as you're heard. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my darling. I love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood podcast. Don't forget that all the links and information that we've spoken about in this podcast is available on the podcast page of my website. Thanks so much for listening. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next time. Bye for now.